Oh, good morning, everyone. <laughs> it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. It is good to be out of school for the summer. I'm excited about that. I know Emma is probably excited as well, although she's probably got to go to work Tuesday with her new job, so not yet. True. We're we're super excited for all the endeavors that she's getting ready to do and just all those fun things that come with summer. Hey, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 again today. We're going to look at verses 6 through 12. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Malachi chapter 3. If you don't, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen and you can follow along there as well. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord this morning. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for this day that we have to, to be gathered, to, be, to worship you corporately, to, to sing your praises, and now to hear your word and respond to it in worship as well. Father, I pray that as we read through this passage and as we dive into it and we dig into it, that you would speak to our hearts, you would convict us, you would challenge us, um, that you would show us how we need to think as we are giving unto you. Father, I pray that as we, we, we look at this, that you would just put me aside and let your words be your words, and that we would be honoring and glorifying to you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so here we are in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And what we've noticed throughout the whole book of Malachi is that Malachi has been levying charges against the people of Israel since the very beginning of his oracle, right? This is how he started out. The word of the Lord has come through Malachi to point the people back to God. That's the goal, to get them back where they need to be with him. They're called to stop going through all the motions, right? We, We saw that early, that they were just kind of going through the motions. They're, they're called to live the covenant that they, as a people, have been called to live, that they are the people of God and they're called to live in obedience to His covenant. They, they're called to not just live in obedience, but to live a robust, God-honoring life. God does not desire some kind of just ho-hum commitment from His people. He desires a wholehearted commitment that changes them inside and out. He wants to see them be his people and be different and set apart for the rest of the world to notice. Now, they've not done this, and we know that, right? And God has had to discipline 
the people of Israel severely by sending them out into exile, right? The northern kingdom of Israel was taken off into Assyria. They were much worse than the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, who was called the kingdom of Judah. But they wound up having bad kings as well. And then they were taken off into Babylon. And they are now returned, right? God still has a plan for them, even though he's, he's had this severe discipline for them. God's plan is still to have his name honored among all the Gentiles through Israel. And God has chosen Israel to do that. Like he, that's, This is who he wants. You are going to be the ones who honor my name for all the Gentiles. But to do this, in order for this to happen, the people of Israel must love God faithfully. The book of Malachi, again, is about calling the people back to renewing their commitment to the covenant, renewing their love for God, renewing their love for God's word. And God starts off this section saying, For I, the Lord, do not change. Now, if you've read any of the Old Testament, even in just a cursory skimming of the Old Testament, you know that Israel has a really checkered past when it comes to being faithful to God. Right? <laughs> they're, they're just they're God's chosen people, but they are not really good at this whole faithful thing to God. Right? But the beautiful thing is, is that God has never once in any of this wavered in his faithfulness to them. God's character does not change. God's eternal purposes do not change. Right? And the people should see this. And, and, and God in the first really three chapters of Malachi has pointed out, look at all the things I have done. I have chosen you. I've done this. I've done that. He's, he's listed out the things that he has done to show them that his character has not changed toward them, that his purposes have not changed toward them. And this should give the people a solid foundation for their faith. It should give the people a solid foundation for their hope. This unchanging nature of God is, is the key to God's promise of, of restoration and reconciliation. He says, For I, the Lord your God, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. See, that second half of the verse, God rebukes the people of Israel and reminds them that, that if he were a God who changed his character or changed his purposes toward them, they would not exist anymore. They would be consumed. Their existence alone is, is evidence of God's faithfulness to them. That they have been brought back from exile in a restored community is, is evidence of God's goodness toward them and his desire to restore them and his desire to reconcile with them. Now, just because God's character and his eternal purposes do not change does not mean that God's actions do not change. Verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me and I will return to you. This, this is showing us that, that God acts accordingly in response to the situation. The people were desiring this, this closeness to God like, like they knew about prior to the exile. And the people said they wanted God to fill his temple like he filled the tabernacle like he filled Solomon's temple when, when they dedicated both of those. They said all these things. It was lip service. 
See, the people were not living like they really wanted to be close to God. And because they weren't living like they really wanted to be close to God, God's presence was far from them. But there's so much hope in this phrase, return to me and I will return to you. This is, this is restoration and, and reconciliation right here in those phrases, return to me and I will return to you. That it's not just that reconciliation and, and restoration are possible. They're offered out if the people desire to change. Think about that a moment. Do, do you feel far from God right now? Do you feel as though you've, you've maybe turned your back on God the way that we've seen the people of Israel through Malachi turn their back on God? God is offering up restoration and reconciliation through confession of sin and placing your faith in Christ. God hears and answers the prayers of the repentant sinner calling on him for rescue. And he rescues. It's what he does. See, reconciliation is not just available, it's offered. But there must be repentance. Return to me or, and I will return to you, he says. There's got to be this repentance, this, this ceasing of selfishness, the ceasing of, of rebellious actions. The actions of reconciliation happen when, when that takes place. The next part of the conversation, though, really kind of points out where the people of Israel are at in their headspace, where they're at in their thinking. They, they ask the question, but how shall we return? What's, what's a little heartbreaking about this question is, is that it's not a question of clarification. God, we want this, and, and we want to know how do we get where you're asking us to come. How can we return to you? No, this is, this is, again, the people having a dispute with God. They're disputing the fact that they have left God. They want to make this argument that God has left them. The, the question really could kind of be interpreted, how are we supposed to return if we haven't gone anywhere? What are you talking about, God? And what God is talking about, he says in verse 8, Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? See, God is, is talking about, is the people robbing him? They're not keeping the tithe, and, and they're keeping wealth that rightfully belongs to God. And this isn't a new topic in Malachi. This isn't something that's just like, all of a sudden, boom, God's levying out this accusation that, that you guys aren't giving good offerings. No, chapter 1 was all about unworthy offerings. And they have been giving these unworthy and lackluster offerings, and God has dealt with this once before. Earlier, God dealt with the quality of their offerings that the people were bringing, right? They, they were bringing animals that were unfit for human consumption, things that they wouldn't offer up to anyone. But yet they were saying that it was good enough for God. Here, God is dealing with the quantity of the people's offering. See, the people's wickedness in their hearts is really revealed here. This is a symptom of a deeper spiritual illness. The people have become idolatrous. They've placed their material wealth and, and they've placed their prosperity above their faithfulness to God. And they have forgotten that they all have, and everything they have, all of their material being, well-being, all of that comes from God. Right? They have forgotten that everything that they've got is, is his to begin with. And all he asks is that they be generous with it and give back to him what he's asked for in the covenant. 
a tithe or a tenth. Now, there's a, there's a lot here to unpack about tithing. There's a lot here to unpack about giving to the church, okay? I'm not going to unpack a whole lot of that. And, and all of us that have, that have been in any church in any amount of time have, have heard pastors abuse this passage and, and tell people that if they aren't giving till it hurts, they aren't being faithful. Or they, they put up a tote board and all of a sudden the sermon becomes like the Jerry Lewis Marathon, right? And we've got to get that thermometer to pop or whatever is going on. I've also heard pastors go the opposite direction about this and say that this passage isn't really about money. It's, it's all about the person's heart. Well, it is about money and it is about the condition of the person's heart. And we see that within context as we're reading it. But it's also about grace. See, God has graciously given so much to the people of Israel. And they have forgotten that it was grace that gave it to them. That it was grace that God chose them to be his favored nation. It was grace that God is choosing them to send the Messiah to the world through. That it is grace that God has put them in exile so that they would see their wrong ways. And it is grace that God has brought them back from exile so that they would turn back to him. They have forgotten the grace of God. And for us as followers of Christ, it is by grace through faith that we are saved from our rebellious nature and that we are reconciled to God. It is all about grace here. Now, we've got to remember that the tithes of the Old Testament were designed to take care of the priests and the Levites. Way, way back when Joshua brought the people into the land of Israel, all of the tribes got a spot of land that they could farm and live and build villages in, except for the Levites, who were the, the descendants of Levi, and the priests who were the directly descended from Aaron, Moses' brother. They weren't given any territory in the promised land. Right? And so the, the tenth and the tithe that went into the temple was to feed them and take care of their families. Now, for the modern church, the offerings that we take up here fund the ministries of the church. They pay for the utility bills and, and they pay for building upkeep. Chris and I, we make a purpose to not go around preaching about money and finances unless the passage of Scripture we come to in context as we have with Malachi chapter 3, talks about money and, and, and finances. And even when we do have you guys a sermon on money and finances, what we typically say is we ask you to turn to God in prayer. We ask you to, to ask him what he wants you to give. And we will ask you to pray for specific missions giving opportunities. And we're going to ask you to give for other specific or pray for about other specific ministry opportunities. If you're a guest at Calvary Heights, if you're watching online, we don't expect you to give to our church. But if you feel compelled, thank you. Right? We see that as God's grace working in you to bless us. And we don't ever want to not recognize that that way. But see, when we recognize the amazing gift that grace is, it should change how we look at giving to the Lord. Grace always expects more than the law. If we, if we were to just take a moment to just skim through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, 
what we see here is our Savior, Jesus, is constantly raising the bar. In five verses, in, in, in Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 21 through 22, he says, You have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying that, that murder here, which is a big one. I'm not saying it's not. That's a big deal. But it starts not with the act itself, but with how you think about those people. Continuing on in that same sermon, we get down to verses 27 and 28. And Jesus says, You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hmm. Again, it's not the act. It's the motivation and the heart behind it. See, grace will never expect less. It always demands more. See, giving is this spiritual act of worship, and it should reflect our love for God and our desire to honor Him. God has given us everything. The resources that you and I have are really just borrowed from Him and are to be used for His purposes. We've been commissioned by God as stewards of all that He has given us. And when we think of ourselves as stewards of God's money that He's given us, we should feel convicted to look at stewarding that money into kingdom efforts and kingdom growth. Right. It's not that God's saying don't have hobbies. It's not that God's saying don't enjoy the things that you have. He's saying, put them in perspective and make sure that I'm more important in your life than they are. See, God doesn't need your money. He has all the riches he could ever desire. What God really desires is your heart. And if you have a generous heart and an open hand to giving, you also have an open hand to receiving a blessing from God. If you close your hand to giving, you've closed your hand to receiving God's blessing. See, the people of Israel giving one-tenth back to God is evidence of wholehearted repentance. That's what God's looking for here. He's looking for wholehearted repentance. Verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is an act of repentance for them. They haven't been doing what God has asked them to do. And he's brought all these charges against them. And Malachi's levied these charges against them. And, and he's just saying, I just want you to repent and start following the law again. And when you wholeheartedly repent, Israel, 
Look and see what happens. Test me. See, God promises that if the people become faithful in presenting the full tithe, the needed rains will come. Their crops will be preserved and they will be blessed. God's challenging his people to give the tithe that is owed him and see how the blessings will pour down on them. God's not just going to meet their needs, but he's going to bless them generously. God is promising to restore the covenant he made with Abraham. He's reconciling through this back to himself. Be obedient. See, if the people of Israel are willing to place God as their highest priority in their lives, he's going to make them a great nation. If Israel exalts God, God will exalt Israel among their neighbors. And he promises to bring about a restoration of the land and bring about an age of prosperity in Israel. But the people must obey him. This is the, this is the thing. The people must obey. Now, how does this apply to us as modern followers of Christ? Well, what can you and I learn from this? Well, we should learn that we have, with much of Malachi, as we've been reading through it, that God wants us to obey him with humility and faithful service. He just wants us to take the word that he has given to us, live the word out humbly in a manner that glorifies and honors him. When we obey in this manner, we can expect to see some blessings. Now, now, here's the thing. As I look at what the people of Israel wanted, they wanted immediate blessings. They literally wanted smoke and fire to come down from the sky and fill this temple that they had, had, had built in Jerusalem. And they wanted God to be in there going, Hi, I'm the great God Yahweh, and these are my people, and they will never come to any harm. And he's like, but y'all aren't living that way for me. They wanted immediate blessings, and, and sometimes we want immediate blessings. But our blessings aren't always immediate. The blessings will come, but we may need to be patient enough to understand that the blessings may come at Christ's return. That our blessings may come when we see him face to face in heaven. We also need to take a look at and understand, much like the Israelites needed to learn here, that we're not defined by what we have. We are not defined by, by what we have earned. We are defined by who we are in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. And, and, and in that definition, we then find that, that we are also kind of sub defined by how we use what we have and what we have earned here on earth for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Our financial activity is an evidence of our devotion to God and his purposes. That's, that's what was, we're looking at. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about following the Lord. And we can also see that, that God is always faithful to his promises, even when his people are not. Israel will fail again. 
As, as we were to read through Scripture, we'll see that over and over. The priests don't get it right between the time of Malachi and the time of Jesus' return, honestly. Right? You and I, we will fail and we will stumble. There will be some sin that will keep creeping back and grabbing at us. Sometimes it will grab us by the ankle. Sometimes it will grab us by the shoulder. And it will take us where we don't want to go. But in Christ, we have the one who gave his life for us all. And when we cry out to him, asking for the rescue that we need, he will reconcile us to God. Return to me and I will return to you as lived out when we repent to Christ and call on Christ for forgiveness. It, it is lived out in, in that we want to return to God, but He has to reach out and pull us into Him. If you've ever felt like you're too sinful for God to forgive you, you need to know that you're not. God's commitment to His new covenant in Christ is, is greater than our rebellious history. That, that our sin nature, as bad as it is, Christ's blood covers it. And He is holding out repentance for you, to you. God is not changing. And that is the foundation of His promise of restoration and reconciliation. That when we call out to Christ, Jesus, rescue me. He is good and faithful and just to do so. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. I, I thank you that, that we can take a passage and we can see a passage about how our finances are an image of our heart toward you. And Father, I thank you that we can take a look at this and we can see that, that there's grace abounding in it. Father, help us call out so that we can return to you so that you will return to us. We, we, we desire that reconciliation. We desire that restoration. Father, we, we want to have you clean us like you described in the earlier part of the same chapter, purifying us so that we can be reconciled to you. Father, I pray that as we move on with this and we move forward and, and where we're going in Malachi that you would continue to speak to our hearts you would continue to challenge us you would continue to convict us let us see that you are a God who, who is holding out patience giving us time to repent Father I pray that we would approach you humbly with a repentant heart Continue to speak to us through your word, drawing us close to you, changing us, making us holier for your sake and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray.